Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jacob L., the Yellow Cake Advocate, Peter S., at UMEWT1, and Andy J. Scott Sullivan has joined us today. Scott is CEO of Paladin Energy, an Australian-based uranium producer with operations in Namibia, Southwest Africa. Paladin also has a number of various stage projects in Canada and Australia. The company is listed on the Australian Securities Exchange under the symbol PDN and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol P-A-L-A-F. Scott, welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions. Hi, Andrew. Uh, good to talk to you again. Well, Scott, tell us a bit about your background in the mining business before you came to Paladin, and then tell us what attracted you to become the company CEO. Yeah, so I'm a mining engineer uh, originally uh, with, with an MBA. My background is you know, pretty broad in terms of commodities and mining companies. So I've got over 30 years of experience, but, um, you know, that's over a range of commodities through my career, bulk, you know, precious and industrial. Um, a mix of domestic experience here in, here in Australia. I've worked in most states here, but also international experience in uh, New Guinea and Canada. When I was working in gold in the US in coal, um, previous African experience uh, in Angola and the DRC in Africa in, in uh, phosphate. My senior positions have, have been with a you know a few companies. I was the GM of the Wombo Coal Complex with Peabody Energy uh, and uh, BHP. I was the asset president of Energy Coal in Australia, and I've been the CEO and MD of a, of a couple of juniors in, in uh, coal and and phosphate. Um, what attracted me into uh, this role uh, it was really you know being presented with a I guess a, a blank canvas with with Paladin having you know recently come out of administration. Still saw lots of potential there. Um, you know the the thought of particularly getting Langer Heinrich back into uh, you know fighting shape and getting that back into production was was particularly attractive to me. But uh, also just the company as a whole, you know through the last years of its operating life you know, with capital rationing and the usual kind of cuts that are made uh, and, then, and then going into and out of administration, it really needed to be rebuilt. And that's the kind of, uh, you know, challenge that I like. Um, and it's also good to join a commodity at the bottom of the cycle, I guess, which is where I, you know, after I did my research, it's where it, it looked like it was. So good timing is always a, you know, a good thing. And it seemed to be that situation for me. So it was a good match and I was, I was happy to take on the challenge. Well, let's get into that. What is going on in this uranium market, Scott? And how do you see the inactivity and low, and low prices really lasting from here? Well, that's a $64 million question. I mean, I, you know, I try and always take a, you know, very high level view of this because you know, we, you know, I've, I've, I've probably got 12 inches of report sitting on my desk and, you know, we read them and as we know, it's hard to to get convergence on information in this, uh, you know, in this commodity, it's there's there's just different views out there. But look, I see, you know, the the long term thematic is still strong, and I don't see really any major changes in that. Um, you know, clearly, you know, driven by China's growth, which is now formalised in their energy plan, and that's 
that's very, very important and we need to see that unfold. But, but I'm also encouraged to see that it's not just about China and that we've got you know, other countries committed to significant growth in, in their nuclear industry. India is looking at doubling its number of reactors. They've got 22 now and they're looking at another 21, Saudi Arabia with, with 17. So it's always good to see, you know, competition and, you know, I guess a very clear message that uh, you know, nuclear is on the rise in the world um, really to, to uh, for countries to be able to meet their emissions targets. So I, I haven't seen, despite this soft market that we still seem to be in, I haven't really seen any any change in that long-term thematic. Um, you know, if, if, if anything, uh, the things that I look for out there is, is um, you know, the, the closures, uh, the soft, I guess, base case that you will see some of the industry analysts talk about where it's a bit flatter over the next few years is really just the balance between new reactors coming online and, and the older reactors, you know, retiring. Um, and I, I think we're starting to see a change there. We're starting to see more and more uh, announcements that that those um, you know utilities retirements are being deferred. So the U.S. is obviously making announcements currently. We're seeing subsidies come in uh, for some U.S. utilities. We see you know France change their their sentiment to wind back the proportion of nuclear energy in their energy mix. Um, you know they went from 75 back to to 50, and now they're back to 75 again. Um, you know and, and have deferred those closures out to. 2035, we're seeing the same thing in the in the uh, the UK. India have not really said it publicly, but I've been over to India and I know they've got the same the same plans. Uh, we're seeing certainly a changing sentiment in South Korea, and if there's ever a, a change of government in Taiwan, I believe most of the opposition are, are pro nuclear. So I think we're seeing a you know changing trend there, and I'm watching that with interest because you know for. You know, from my viewpoint, I think that really will change that that kind of softer uh, uh, base case, if you like, that more conservative case over the next five years, and and uh, you know, growth depending on which report you you know you read is somewhere between 0.7 and 1.5 percent compound average growth rate. So, I think that's changing in the short term. You know, 232 obviously has been significant, and and we've we've all spoken about it. Um, you know, on many occasions, but you know, personally, I wasn't expecting a rush back into the market. I wasn't expecting a stampede of utilities to kind of come back in. Um, I thought that we're probably more likely to see, you know, just a, a gradual return to the market over the next six to 12 months. Um, you know, there's still some uncertainty. There's no doubt, 232 is off the table, and I don't expect that we'll see quotas and you know tariffs uh, come back in. Um, you know, I think uh, if anything, other options will be pursued. But we've now got to wait till mid-October, Andrew, just to see what Trump comes up with in terms of the, the you know the full fuel cycle review. Um, I don't hold many concerns about that, to to be honest, other than the fact that the uncertainty keeps the utilities out, but. But I think in the end, um, you know, there may be some support in there for the for the you know the domestic suppliers, the domestic producers. But but I don't think that'll be quotas or tariffs. It may be something like, you know, directing federally controlled utilities to buy local. Um, I think there's about eight of those. So you know, you might see kind of three million pounds or so of domestic purchases, and that'll be good for them. But look, overall, I think uh, Trump's probably more worried about. Um, you know, it's, it's a big business, foreign investment, $300 billion or so. Uh, Russia's building 36 reactors, I think, across 
a dozen or so countries. So he's missing out on, on, on uh, you know, big uh, foreign investment opportunity. But but I think politically, um, he realizes that the U.S. has just fallen behind. And when you you're building nuclear power plants for you know for other countries, you create a, a strategic alliance or maybe even a strategic reliance similar to what China have done with the resources industry, you know, for the last decade or so. And I think they're concerned about that. So, you know, a, a renewed US nuclear industry is a good thing, but but we've just got that uncertainty prevailing. And I think we've got to wait, wait until October um, just to see what comes of it. Um, but I think there was a little bit of news overnight. Uh, one does not make a trend, but I think Duke Energy um, ha has come into the market for 300,000 pounds a year from 2021. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully that won't, you know, that won't be the last. Um, you know, moving forward, um, you know, I always think that you've got to be cautious about using the past as an indicator for the future. Um, you know, whether we see a return to term contracts, see, you know, the level we have in the past at 90%, I guess, is an open question for me. Last year, it was about 50-50, and, and I think perhaps we're more likely to see, you know, maybe maybe a, a greater portion of spot and, and perhaps midterm contracts uh, going forward. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the the security of energy is important for utilities, so we're certainly going to have to see those contracts come back in, and, and we're just going to have to be a little patient in the short term. I want to get to Paladin, as there are a number of uh, discussion topics. First, tell those who are unfamiliar about the company. Yeah, well, just just briefly, when Paddles is a pure pure play uranium company, we've we've got our corporate office in Perth, Western Australia, as you said, we're ASX listed. It's, it's got about a 25 year history uh, to date. It had its public float you know, back in 1994, and that was on the back of the the Uranes databases uh, from from the German parent company's exploration uh, when they explored throughout Australia and around the world. So that was kind of the the, the um, the, the incentive for starting uh, Paladin, it, it accumulated resources in the ensuing years um, through Queensland and Western Australia here and, and in Labrador in Canada and it, it built you know, two of the first conventional uranium mines the world had seen in, in, in many years in Langer Heinrich and, uh, and Kayla Kerra. Yeah, we're, we're a pretty small team uh, these days, um, apart from you know, our, our uh, presence in, in uh, Namibia and Malawi, I mean, we, we're keeping it pretty lean here. So, you know, my direct reports is, is my CFO, Anna Sudlow. She's new into the company. Um, Michael Drakes, my GM of BDM Projects. Michael's very important for our, uh, our um, you know, future. He's, he's leading the studies and will ultimately uh, help drive the recommissioning of Langer and the, and the operational planning there. I've got my two operational GMs on site, Johan Ru at, at Langer and Mike Hoey and Kayla Kerra. And, and then I've just got my exploration manager who, who is you know, looking after our exploration assets globally and maintaining those. We're not actively exploring uh, at the moment. And that's a you know, deliberate part of our strategy just to you know, minimize our cash burn. And we've still got Gary Stoker who's our, our uh, marketing and sales manager. He's based in London. So we've still got Gary, not, not full time, but it's a critical skill set. We want to make sure that we, we hold on to that. And you know we've got a small board, so uh, we're lucky enough to still have Rick Crabb as our uh, non-executive chairman. Um, so Rick's pretty well been you know with the company I think for over 21 years. So that's given great continuity. And and given that the rest of us are all new, um, it, it's great for me as a CEO to have you know that experience and longevity there. We've got David Reiki as an independent NED. Um, 
background in PwC and and uh, you know corporate reconstruction. Daniel Harris is a is a good operator. He's um, you know, ex-Atlas Iron and he's a vanadium expert. So given that we're looking at vanadium in, in Langer, that's great to uh, a great skill set to have. Uh, he's an independent NED, and then we've got. Uh, John Hodder, who's a, also a non-executive director, but he's a major shareholder nominee for uh, Tembo, which is our, our number one shareholder on the registry. And how about the company structure a little bit more there? How many shares are out? Uh, how much cash do you have? And what is your approach to management team compensation during these tough market times? So we've got 1.75 billion shares on issue, and, and depending on what the share price of the day is, because it's pretty volatile in the market at the moment. But you know we're capitalised at, at about 164 US million. It's about 245 Aussie. We've got 25 uh, cash in the bank, non-restricted, and another 11 that's just re restricted at the moment. And our debt really was that, that bond that was uh, issued coming out of admin at out of principle of 115 million and the, 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 uh, the debt sits at 132 uh, at the moment. So it gives us an EV of around uh, 270. Um, you look in terms of remuneration in this market, I mean, it's always a, a challenge and it's always a compromise between finding you know the best people that you that you can particularly when you're a small team with with complex operations which which we are so um, but we've we've recently you know done a full rem review and we put in place a performance management system so um, you know there's a lot of systems that the company either just didn't have um, or that probably over the you know the period of wind down and, and administration that, that that fell away. Um, you know that's not atypical. So we've we've you know, gone out, did a independent salary and remuneration review, um, and look, we've pitched things where we think we can attract you know a level where we can attract uh, good good talent. Um, certainly the senior people, myself included, we have a a large portion of our total remuneration based on short-term incentives which is about achieving you know the key and critical goals that we've that we've set ourselves for the year ahead and we've got a, a long-term incentive scheme just called SARS share appreciation rights not it's not quite options and it's not quite shares you earn the right to get shares at a future price but it basically requires you know significant growth in in the share price for for those to be worth anything when they hit their milestone dates going forward um, and then that incentivizes performance. I mean, our future really is tied around the, the the success of the uranium market, and then ultimately, you know, us us converting any increase in prices that we've got into success, principally at Langer, but then driving, you know, growth in the share price through through uh, you know through our resource base, which is quite significant. Now, are there any plans to get uh, the OTC listing in North America upgraded to a QX status, Scott? No, we've we've looked at various exchanges. Um, we've looked at other companies that have gone down that path. And look, there's pros and cons. And you know, we've got we've got a you know a significant project in Canada, and I've had a couple of conversations about TXS listings. But at the moment, our our preference is just to keep things simple. Um, you know, ASX we understand it well, and all the reporting requirements and and development requirements and legislative requirements. So our plans right now, Andrew, is just to keep things simple. You know, in the future, um, you know, we keep our options open. Uh, you know, certainly when we try and create value in a different market out of those resources that we've got around the world, it's pretty significant, you know, resource holding that we've, 
that, that we've got 370 million pounds attributable. Um, so if we think it's you know best to float off on a different exchange, uh, then that's an option that we'll keep open. But for now, uh, we have no plans to, to change our listings. Very well. As you know, uh, Paladin management has changed over the years since the departure of John Borjov's team in 2015. With your leadership, the current management and board in place, do you believe the company is in a better position, has the required expertise, and is Scott Sullivan at Paladin to stay through the cycle? Yes. Well, look, we're in. We certainly are a different, uh, you know, a different company. I mean, when when you go through administration, and you come out, you expect that, and we really have taken a you know blank canvas approach here right now. So certainly, you know, it's been a significant financial restructure. So we we're in a better place. There's absolutely no doubt. I mean, we left behind you know, $760 million of debt and, and we're now sitting at a, at 130 and, you know, I, that, I don't wake up in the morning, Andrew, worrying about that debt in the right market. You know, when we hit our incentive prices, we, you know, we will be able to get Langer in, in you know, particular back into production and, and uh, you know, we, we will have a solution for that debt. Um, look, I think the significant, you know, differences uh, going Ford, you know, the previous uh, executive were very, very bullish on uranium and they weren't um, probably as interested in term contracts as we will be. I think this executive and the board are going to take a more of a conservative approach. Um, we think it's sensible that you underwrite, you know, your, your restart and particularly payback period with contracts, but, but also just to de-risk the market going forward. So, you know, we've, we've got our... Our joint venture partners have a contractual right to about 30% of the product, you know, at, at, at virtually at spot. Um, so it is a contract, though. We're conscious of that. So we've got exposure to spot through that. You know, the rest, you know, is there for us to play with. So, you know, we've got, you know, perhaps 50% that we can go out and look at uh, term contracts, mid-contracts, whatever, whatever we think is best. I always think it's probably, um, you know, a, a, a risk strategy where you don't commit all of your production to contracts so we're probably looking at keeping maybe 20 percent not contracted um, that we would put into the spot market at well and i think that gives us a good you know a good a good balance but we certainly will be more conservative conservative going forward you know my emphasis is on the site and loading the talent there um, we've got an excellent operational team and the people that we've brought on board to build our study team with some of those are permanent employees some of them are from site some of them are ex-paladin employees where we thought the skill set was still right for us and that they were capable of lateral thinking and were locked into past paradigms you know so we built that i think it's a stronger operational team than the company's ever had in the past and my philosophy will be to you know put the talent on the site and run corporate very lean going forward so you know we're trying to build a strong cultural change with the with the you know collaboration and involvement of of the site but important for me to look outside the uranium industry for expertise and that kind of unbounded uh, thinking that, that that just brings in inspiration and and innovation and that's certainly paying off we can talk through the the study there's a lot of very good things uh, happening there but you know same same name but i think a different company and a different you know a, a different approach and yes um you know i came in um you know being fully aware of where the market was and you know i had several meetings with all the the directors and you know we you, you've got to have faith in the long-term thematic 
and certainly our major shareholders said that when they came in, they came in knowing full well that it could take a few years for you know for this market to unwind, and that's the that's the time frame and the focus that I came in. So I, you know I'm hoping for success, um, and we might need to be patient for a couple of years for that. But, but I'm here for the cycle, absolutely. Okay, and I think you covered a few of these, but I want to ask you, uh, with the rise and fall of Paladin during the last cycle, what lessons about that story stand out to you, and what are you doing differently? Well, it's, there's 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 a couple of dimensions to that, and and you know, firstly, I'm not interested in in um, you know ex high capital expansions of the project to 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 create growth or the illusion of growth. You know, my my background is is firmly in operations and running operations at multiple levels, and you know our number one priority is to you know provide a path for Langer back into production. It's still a great asset, um, but there's a lot that can be done to improve the operation of that asset, and that's what this team is focused on. So, you know, we've we've, we've inherited a lot of operational issues uh, that are still there despite you know the expansion, two expansions of uh, of Langer. And we know they're they're resolvable. So you know our focus is on firmly on debottlenecking. Um, we're running a you know a very rigorous study process at the moment, and uh, you know we've identified a lot of options um, to to debottleneck that that site as it is, principally as it is, you know a five million pound operation. Um, and we've got options to you know spend money on process. They've been around for a while, front end upgrades in the beneficiation plant or back end upgrades to reduce costs. They're all there, and we're certainly looking at those. But just in terms of the base operation, um, you know, we've got over 300 uh, initiatives on on the table. We're not going to do them all, and certainly not 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 up front. But these are uh, you know initiatives that have been identified by 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 people whose experience is is really to improve and. De-bottleneck operations make them more robust and resilient, which is what a lot of my experience is as well. So we've, we've got an excellent team, and it's um, it's you know it's yielding uh, lots of success in the study at the moment. So that's certainly going to be a major change. And then I think um, you know on the corporate side of things, um, you know we need to keep our debt under control and certainly underwrite the future with with contracts that we can rely on we you know i'm interested in good returns to shareholders more than i'm interested in trying to keep you know full exposure to windfall returns and that's always a compromise every company needs to make its own its own decisions but you know we don't want to be starting operations up and shutting them down again a, a few years later um, you know and kayla carroll was an example of that so so it's not in anyone's interest and certainly not in shareholders interest so well, I think we'll keep our debt under control, and you know, my philosophy is you earn the right to grow based off the cash flow of your operations. And for us, that's Langer. We're gifted with you know significant resources outside of Langer, and and um, you know, when when the time is right to develop those or transact those, you know, we'll certainly look at it. But for, you know, number one, two, and three priority is to is to get Langer back into operation, get it in at the lowest cost that we can. But make sure that it's robust and resilient through cycles. That's that's effectively our strategy. Well, let's move on to Langer Heinrich. As you know, CNNC has partial ownership in in the project. There, have they been cooperative as a partner, and do they have any responsibility for ongoing costs, or are they kind of a free ride, silent partner, if you will? 
Yeah, although they've been cooperative, um, you know, they, obviously as, a, as a, a representative of a country that's got a voracious appetite for, uh, for uranium right now, they were, you know, not too happy to see, um, you know, it go down on the care and maintenance and they certainly had a lot of input in, into that decision and Paladin had to make some concessions there in terms of funding it when it, when it first came up. So, you know, that, that was a discussion, but in the end, um, it was amicable and it went into care and maintenance and that obviously was about preserving shareholder value on Paladin's side of the business, but preserving the, you know, the resources and asset as well. So they got 25% at the project level that's important to them. I mean, you, you can clearly see China's strategy has moved on from, you know, just uh, off-take agreements around the world and they want to be more in control of of their production going forward. So HUSAB, of course, was a big, big part of that. That's, um, if, you, if you believe them, they're operating at about 10 million pound kind of annual production, annualised production. I don't think they'll get there for, for this year, but they reckon they're at that annualised rate. That's versus, I think it was 14 million pound. And of course, they've just bought Rossing, which is, well, that's good. It's good for Rossing and it's good for Swakamon in Namibia because it would shut otherwise. So, um, you know, interesting to see as those contracts drop off, um, you know, what what uh, what happens with, with Rossing going forward. But they've got a strong interest in Namibia and, and uh, you know, I think they'd like to see Langer, you know, back into production, uh, you know, at the right price. Um, so, yes, they're supportive and they've, you know, um, certainly got to fund their way going forward, whether that's, um, you know, on through 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 debt that gets back paid back through the project or, um, or you know, on an equity basis from, from uh, CNNC, um, we, you know, we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it, but they've got to fund their way in the long term, absolutely. Do you have any insights as to why CNNC did not use their option to to acquire Langer Heinrich in the past, when instead they decided to go after assets such as Rossing? What are your thoughts on that? Well, look, it was pre me, and and you know I, I've certainly had that discussion. I mean, you know they they they, they paid hundred ninety odd million for twenty five percent. Of, of Langer at the time and perhaps they thought that was you know that it was just too highly valued and they didn't want to pick it up and um, you know that that they had well certainly you know about 30 percent of the offtake as it was and probably were in a good position to negotiate offtake agreements directly with 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 Paladin going forward so I, I can only assume it was a you know a valuation issue um, you know whether they've uh, regretted that day or not we'd have to ask CNNC um, but, but nonetheless, they passed up the opportunity and, you know, we don't have a for sale sign hanging on the, on the door at the moment. And is there any discussions about adding or, or selling their interest in Langer Heinrich uh, that you can mention? No, I mean, we always assume, you know, I think it's always safe to assume that, that you know, under the right circumstances, they'd probably like to have all of it. But as I said, we, you know, we don't have a for sale sign on it. Lang Heinrich is our key asset and it's, you know, it's our, our growth platform for uh, the company. So we're, we're not in active discussions, um, you know, with them about selling any more stake. I don't think we need to from a, from a funding perspective. And, you know, they haven't come back certainly in my time and asked, you know, if there is anything for sale, but, um, you know, as I said, for us, Lang Heinrich being our key asset, you you know, it's a, it's our uh, platform for, for, for growth coming back into a stronger market. And how are long-term clients? Have you seen any interest uh, increase related to a potential deal? Uh, and with the current Chinese 
interest in Langer Heinrich, are there any specific clients, Chinese or otherwise, that, are, that you are interested in specifically selling material to? Well, we keep in touch with the market. I mean, one of the one of the, the one of the uh, I guess differentiating uh, features of Langer is that we were we were an operator, so we do have those relationships, and we still you know kept our our uh, marketing expertise. So we've got Gary Stoker based in in London, and Gary talks regularly with our with our you know utilities and the people that we've sold to, and also new utilities. So yes, I think every uranium company out there gets gets a phone call. Um, whether we're interested in, you know, in tendering for a for a contract, but there's just not a lot of interest around at the moment. Um, you know, the Chinese have been through Australia. I think they've probably knocked on everyone's door just to test, you know, to test the market and see whether there was, you know, any interested offtakes. Um, but, the, but these kind of prices, you know, that that interest is not really there, and it's not there for for us as well. So, I guess our focus is just to maintain those relationships. But but you know, we're we're not certainly not close to signing up. Uh, off takes, you know, at this at this level in the market, um, uh, we we keep our options open. I guess I've got no preferences. You know, traditional market, you know, China and the US and Taiwan. Um, you know, they're all there for us. But but you know, we're also talking uh, to other parties to develop relationships going forward. You know, there, there's probably two ways to approach this market. You can either wait. You know, wait for it to evolve and, and and recover, or you can look within, you know, the the clutter out there at the moment and see if there's opportunities for some kind of a you know a strategic relationship. And whether whether that's a bilateral agreement that we're kind of seeing, you know, in the market, there's examples of it out there. Whether whether it's Kazakhstan selling into you know to to given you know, companies, or whether it's country to country such as India to Kazakhstan or whatever, there's always other opportunities. And I think we've all got to work hard to try and find what works for our company. And we're certainly doing that. We're not, we're not sitting idle, even though we, you know, it's the early stages of, of, you know, rebuilding this company. We've got a very clear defined path back into production. And I think, uh, you know, really just waiting on the right incentive price, but, but we're going to be at the start line, you know, ready to go, certainly on, um, you know, where we want to go to for contracts, et cetera. And, you know, we've, we've got our view on where we need prices and probably what our contract mix will be. So we're certainly going to be prepared. Well, Scott, let's talk about the optimization studies at Langer Heinrich. Is there any desire at this point to expand production capability or is the focus really on making the existing operation better than it was before? Yeah, it's, look, our major focus is on making the, the existing operation better than it was before. But we are paralleling two bodies of work, Andrew. So we've, we've got we've got two two feasibilities, uh, pre feasibilities going at the moment. The first one and the most important one is 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 uh, yeah the rapid restart of Langer, principally as it is now, you know, with a with a with a five nominal five million pound a year operation. That's lower capital. It's just a quicker path back into production. And if we if we see, you know, a significant rise in prices in the short term, we we just want to be ready to come back into production, and then we'll build our growth off that. Yeah. The second one is is looking at some of the historical options that have been there, and kind of two main focuses there. One is just front end or beneficiation upgrade. That that's generally the higher capital one, and that's more centred on the second half of the remaining life of Langer, that kind of second 10 years when we're on low-grade stockpiles because it's about increasing leach feed grade. And where possible, 
the goal is to keep our production as close as possible to the five million pounds that we've enjoyed whilst we're mining out of the open pit. So that's the, the prime focus of that one. The, the second half is just continuation of some good optimization work that's been done in the past. And it's really centered on cost reduction. And there's many avenues to that, but you know, one of them is, is uh, reagent reduction and, and technology to reduce reagent reduction or keep, keep closed circuit reagent where we just recover it and reuse it. So there's good ideas there. There's low pressure uh, leaching. Uh, there's a whole host of debottlenecking options that, that we think we can do for relatively low um, capital, um, which is very exciting. And, you know, looking at vanadium recovery, so there's always been vanadium in this resource. It sits at about a third of the grade of uranium, but it's never been recovered. Um, it's a deleterious element in the, in, in the product. We've got to take it out uh, through the process, but, but it's never been recovered. So we've, we've looked at that. Um, we looked at that in the concept study. We're doing a lot of work now in the pre-fees. That's looking pretty exciting. Um, for us, it's, pretty, it's an incremental cost. As I said, we've got to take it out of the process stream. Um, so, you know, long-term price, $8.50 a pound uh, for vanadium, uh, we, you know, we're hoping to produce it at, at a few dollars a pound or less, and it'll be a nice little cash flow earner. But we think that, you know, through the, the de-bottlenecking work that we're doing as a part of the study, we do think there's some opportunities for some small step changes in, in production with the existing operation as it is for not a lot of capital, and, and that's what we're really focused on. And you know, the goal is maybe another, um, you know, half a million pounds, um, or even if we get half of that, it's still uh, very highly profitable incremental pounds, you know, in the operation as it is. So we're kind of focused on both to answer your question. The prime focus is on the, the, the rapid restart of Langer as it is, but fix it, um, make it robust and, and resilient through cycles, uh, lowest cost that we can, but also, um, you know, progress the work on uh, you know ways to reduce our costs and, and keep our throughput up. I don't have a lot of interest, Andrew, in a stage you know this kind of a stage four expansion that looked to go to seven or seven and a half million pounds. If, if that presents itself in the future as being you know value accretive, then we'll have a look at it. But it's certainly not our focus now. Right. And if if optimization work goes as planned, can you just give us a rough ballpark figure of what you see as an all-in cost range at Langer Heinrich, assuming some of these initiatives uh, turn out to be good? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we need to recognise that you know we're we're you know ten years into this mine, and you know the, there is absolutely no doubt that we're going to be mining you know a lower grade in the second half of this mine life than we were in the first, as as often is the case in mature mines. But all of our work and all the costs that we kind of talk of now take that into account. So that's just a challenge that we've got to overcome. Typical challenge for any for any mature mine. So we're still targeting. Uh, our our cost to be lower than thirty five dollars a pound, all in sustaining costs, despite those lower grades moving moving forward. Um, and our aspirational cost target is thirty dollars a pound. And certainly, uh, we've got the initiatives on the table in the concept study, and and you know as we progress through the pre feasibility study, and particularly in the first you know, half of the, the rest of the mine life, the nine years or so that we're mining out of the pit still. Um, I think that aspirational target is, is um, you know, uh, looking uh, very doable uh, at the moment. So that's $30, $30 a pound all in sustaining costs. And that includes those uh, cost reduction initiatives. Um, it includes vanadium credits um, coming back in. 
um, but it also includes uh, you know some other ideas that we've got. I won't go into all, all the detail. We've got, as I said, a list of about 300 improvement initiatives. We'll prioritise those. We'll draw a line there. You know, somewhere we're obviously not going to come in and do all of those. Some of those will be will be done on the run. But there, we've got lots of opportunity here just through through a good operational approach, having the right you know external set of eyes uh, from outside the uranium industry. A lot of these ideas are coming. I'll stress that. Um, but, but very exciting at the moment. So, you know, that'll put us in a very strong position. An open cut mine with a long life sitting at around, you know, $30 a pound, um, you know, I think uh, really puts us at the, the, the front of the line for operations coming back in, in an improved market. I mean, there's really probably only us and, you know, MacArthur River and, you know, maybe Boss, you know, in and around those kinds of costs and timeframes um, to come back into production. So that that's that's pretty exciting. We'll continue with the other work as we go through to uh, March, the, the feasibility work on looking at, you know, cost reductions. That'll go through to March next year. We'll wind up the pre-fees for the rapid restart in, in September this year. And then we'll just go into a short feasibility study for six months. So that'll finish about March next year as uh, well. I look forward to making you know some some announcements on that as it proceeds. With the optimizations, assuming the key optimizations go forward, Scott, can you give uh, the audience a rough ballpark of what you think this these optimizations might cost? Well, we're being we're being conservative and sensible right now, so you know it's it's always a compromise. There's a lot of stuff to do. I mean, there is so many initiatives that we've identified that's kind of literally a, you know, like a bunch of kids in a candy shop at the moment we're spoiled for choice but we've got to be practical and pragmatic so in the concept study we said that we would we would look at about 25 million dollars for fix it capital and, and some high payback uh, improvement capital so 25 for both of those and there's things we simply have to fix you know the dryer for example is virtually uh, not operational it, it, it runs it you know it's it's a very uh, there's a lot of leaks and it runs at um, you know, very high temperatures inside the building. It's not comfortable or, you know, for employees. So we know that we've got to provide a, a fix for that. There have been challenging in the uranium industry. There's a lot of a lot of companies that have struggled with the dryer and the you know the feed prep and the product handler. So we've got some early ideas for that. We're speaking to uh, you know to a, to a range of, of companies that can give us a solution to that. And there's a few other things that we simply have to fix that capital wasn't put into going forward. So we're looking at 25 million for that. Now working capital, it's a large mine. Every mine's got to uh, you know, refund themselves back into production. So we, we're flagging about 55 million US at the moment for working capital. And that's everything that you expect to have to do, you know, to get a large mine back into production. So, we, you know, we've got to mobilise a workforce and carry the cost of those through the execution and commissioning phase. We've got to mobilise equipment back onto site. We've got to restock our inventory and our reagents. Um, we probably need to do some pre-strip in the pits because I'm sure that, that you know, the open exposed ore was mined down when they were cutting costs in the last years of operation and a bit of tails down work. So we estimate at the moment, Andrew, that that's about 55 million so about 80 million US to bring a 5 million pound operation back into production. Um, you know, if you contrast that to, to starting a new 5 million pound operation, you're looking at about 800 million. So we, we've got a competitive advantage there. And we think that, okay. that, that we think the time, you know, back into production from when we finished our feasibility study, so we obviously assume that, um, clearly assuming that we've, we've hit the right incentive price for us, then and and you know ultimately that that we've locked away our our 
contracts for, uh, you know, so that we can get our project financing in place. We think the execution timeline is 12 to 15 months. And there's some good examples, you know, around the industry of, of larger operations coming, you know, back into production in that kind of time frame. So we're pretty confident of it. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you that, so I, I appreciate you filling us in on that. Do you see Paladin restarting operations uh, as a result of a long-term contract or due to the spot price recovering sufficiently? And at what uranium price do you see that being initialized? Yeah, it, it's 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 a factor of both um, because, it, you know, one depends on the other. So, you know, at the moment, as we know, in term contracts, I think they're still sitting around $32 and they haven't really moved you know, too much because there's been very, very little transactions done. They haven't moved as the spot price has moved between $24 and $29. So it really depends on both in the end. If you're, if you're fortunate enough to, to kind of reach some kind of a, you know, offtake agreement, that is a win-win for two parties going forward at a premium to the current spot price, then, then clearly we could, we could start off with a lower spot price. But because we're looking at that combination going forward, as I said, pro probably, uh, yeah, probably about 50% exposure to spot and maybe 50% exposure to contract. And that, that's just an example. It's the weighted average price that, that we've got to have and have confidence in moving forward. So you kind of want both. You want to get some term contracts squared away that, that are at a, you know, obviously a, a higher price as possible, but you've still got to have some faith in the forward price curve at, at spot. Um, if it's going to languish around $25, a, you know, a pound for, uh, for you know, the so five or six years ahead, then clearly your, your term contracts are going to have to be a bit more special than what they've been in the past. So I, I think, you know, we, we, need to, uh, we need to have both. We need to have some confidence in the spot price, the forward price curve, and we need to get term contracts uh, signed that, you know, of a, of a, a formula, um, that that uh, bring us back into the market will underwrite our production and our capital payback period, but give us some resilience, you know, through 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 cycles. That's what we're looking for. So there's a lot of permutations uh, as to how this can unfold. But you know, the kind of prices you know, we're looking for, we, you know, we've kind of said that we, we we'd like to see, um, you know, prices around forty-five to fifty dollars a pound. Um, we're after a good return to shareholders. Yeah, that that's it. We don't want to waste a, a resource. We're the same sentiment as Cameco on that. Um, and you know, we think we we think that prices are certainly going to move there. Um, I don't need $130 a pound. I would rather see a consistent, you know, a consistent uh, increase in the prices and for it to steady out and be, you know, even $50, $60 a pound long-term average price would be fantastic for us. We make great cash at that. Um, uh, anything above that is is really windfall, but that's you know not something I'm expecting, and and certainly not something we need to get back into production. Scott, as you know, the company has a good chunk of debt coming due in a couple of years, and it looks like you know Langer will have an all-in cost potentially you know in that thirty-dollar range as you mentioned. How much pressure exists with the need to get a new low-priced supply deal in an effort to kind of shore up the balance sheet, or do you feel like you can hold out for some higher prices? Well, it's somewhat. Our debt is somewhat off uh, in the future yet. It's, it matures in January uh, 23, so we, we, you know, we've got a few years now. 
Um, so, you know, we've got a very, very clear path between now and then, Andrew. Um, you know, if there was a solution to that debt, I mean, there's covenants on that debt. We've, we've got to, it's not a convertible bond. Um, so we've got to, um, you know, buy it out or, or resolve that debt before we come back into production. And that's the way we, we think of it. But if we get into the, the you know, the, the $45, $50 and come back into production, as I said before, I'm very confident there's a solution there's a solution to, to that debt there. But in, in the meantime, um, you know, our strategy is to um, de-risk the company as much as we can, conserve, conserve cash and cash burn. Uh, you know, we've done that um, deliberately. We've reduced our corporate costs down to the minimum. We've got our exploration down to one and a half million dollars a year. Um, so there's no active program there. That's deliberate. Um, Langer's costs are down to three and a half million a year for a large mine. And, you know, Calicara is at, at five million a year, so the sale of Calicara was a deliberate part of that that strategy. And uh, you know, conserving our our cash and de-risking Paladin going forward, and that just helps us, you know, get to that that January twenty three um, you know maturity date. But um, clearly, we're hoping for you know a, a stronger price and to bring Langer back into production. I mean, that's the that's the uh, the holy grail for us, obviously, and and uh, you know the way that we'll rebuild this company. So I'm I'm a firm believer in in the thematic, and uh, you know it's been a bit slow and a bit soft now, but but um, I'm a firm believer that we'll we'll see those increased prices, you know, by that date. Um, so we're not we're not we don't need to be out there, you know, trying to underwrite with, with a contract today. There's no immediate urgency. We're doing all the groundwork. Um, but, uh, you know, no immediate urgency to underwrite today. And update us on the, the uh, Kayla Kira sale. Uh, how was that going and what was the reasoning for that sell-off? I think you touched on it, but go ahead and give us an update on that. Yeah, well, well look, it's a deliberate decision, Andrew, and, and I think, um, you know, whilst we're at the bottom of the market, it's, it's, you know, it's often hard to sell kind of assets at, at, at the top of the market if people don't think that there's, you know, that there's any kind of... Uh, you know, um, blue sky in it for them. But but for us, um, you know, it's quite simple. It is five million a year cash burn. It, we've, we've spent something like 43 million US dollars on it since it was put into care and maintenance. And, you know, cash is important at the moment. And, and clearly for us, we have got a far greater return putting our focus, our, our resources and our cash into Langer. And that's very, very clear. You know, it's apparent that we are not going to fund two operations back into production at the same time. Calicare is a higher cost operation than Langer. You know, there would be delay there, but Langer is going to consume our interest and our, our capital for, for some time. So if we we're carrying it, you know, for another five years or so, there's another $25 million uh, cash burn, US dollars in cash burn. So that really stood out as just being value accredited for us. And we had a look at, at, at various sale options in the end. You know, we were presented with one that we thought was, was uh, the, right, the right deal for us. Um, you know, so, so we stand to save on that care and maintenance um, a cost of, of five million a year. We, we, we get, you know, five million in shares that we've got exposure to and still in the future. Uh, you know, success of Calicare and, and Hylia, the entity. Um, we've got a three and a half percent, you know, future earnings or through through a royalty, if you like, you know, capped at five million. And we get our two, our $10 million US bond back over 
three years. Um, so, you know, to, to put it one way, in, you know, by the end of 2022, uh, if this sale settles by the end of the year, we're about 27 million US dollars better off cash-wise on an absolute basis than we otherwise would be. And that's incredibly important to us. So for, for Hylia, you know, it gives them a principal asset. And I guess for, that'll be their prime focus, certainly exploration, they, they, they will uh, put money into exploration and also into studies to reduce the costs and to get Kalakera back into production as early as possible. And that's good for, you know, it's good for Malawi, and it's good for Hylia and the shareholders. And ultimately, I think it's the right decision for, uh, for us as well. And at the terms and price announced, do you see that the terms really reflect these market conditions that we're in, or did you see that that was really kind of a fair value? Yeah, no, they reflect the they reflect where we are. I mean, you, you know, some 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 resource assets at the moment are attracting no value. I mean, we 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 if we look at the value of Paladin at the moment in the market, Andrew, it's it's principally all on the value of Langer Heinrich. I mean, one one analyst put some value against Kayla Kerra. Um, but, but you know, our other assets, which normally and in the past have obviously attracted high value, our other resources have virtually no value at these current prices. So, you know, it, it is fair value if you look at the structure of other transactions that have happened in the past, um, you know, Honeymoon, the purchase of Honeymoon, off Uranium One and backing that, backing that into uh, BOSS. You know, they were similarly structured deals where I guess the risk, the risk is somewhat, somewhat shared. Um, it's hard to expect a you know a, a company coming in taking all the risk. So you know the way it is structured with the deferred payments, etc., and and the royalties, which means it's got to be in production and, and having sales, and the deferral of the bond over a few years allows the the, the in this case highly to really to come in and you know get a firm footing to make sure that it's putting the cash that it raises up front not only into meeting those initial purchase. Uh, requirements, but also into you know money in the ground. That's where the value is is built. And so far, this has been very well received. Uh, I mean, you know, you've looked at the market. You know, Hylia's shares you know went up by 500% or so. It's obviously a small company and highly leveraged to it, but it's been very well received. Um, you know, the, the the funding is uh, that they require is is underwritten. There's been a lot of interest in uh, the company and the transaction, and you know, it's a win for us in the long run run as well given what I've explained from a cash flow perspective. And what about the other Paladin projects? Can you tell us just a bit about those and are there any near-term plans for these assets? Yeah, so so far um, you know we, we've got you know 320 million pounds kind of outside of uh, of, of Langer and Kayla Kera on a hundred percent basis. So we've got a pretty significant resource item. It's one of the largest you know in the world. Three three principal projects for us. In Canada we've got we've got Michelin and in Australia we've got um, uh, our resources around Mount Isa in Queensland, part of which was the, the summit acquisition that we, we kind of got hundred percent of last year and then we've got an NG and Carly Bore here in, in Western Australia. So Michelin's located in, in Labrador. We've got 55% of that at the moment. So that was part of the settlement with, with Deutsche Bank when we came out of administration. So we, we, we kind of handed over 50% of that as part of the settlement of that debt, but we can earn 5% back per, per year um, to 75%. So currently we've got 55, we've just earned our first 5% back through just funding the in-ground you know, holding costs um, the yearly holding costs, so we'll get back to, to 75% in, in uh, four years. 
that was acquired, you know, back in 2011. It was a, around a $260 million script deal. It's had $75 million spent on in-ground exploration to date. So it's, it's a pretty significant asset um, and has had significant focus over the years. I mean, pre-Athabasca pre it was, and it still is one of the largest resources in North America, 127 million pounds across six deposits. And there's there's still plenty of exploration potential up there, reasonably high ground cover in that in that uh, domain and uh, good potential for, for further deposits. It's open at depth, it's open along strike in both directions. Um, met testing in the past has been great, 90% recovery, conventional acid leaching conditions, supported government in Newfoundland and Labrador, including the Manitsiviet government, the, the indigenous government, supports regional growth. Um, so it, it's it's all looking good, but right now uh, these prices, it's it's you know it just doesn't make sense to do any more active exploration or spend money on on uh, feasibility. But these projects, you know, attract value uh, very well, um, you know, as the price goes up, and we, we we certainly look forward to that. And that is one of the ones that we could initiate reinitiate early. We've had interest. In fact, I've had interest in all of these projects, Andrew, and we've had. We've had discussions with various companies, but you know we've got to make the decisions that are right for us. Holding cost of negligible at the moment, and it just doesn't make sense to do transactions now. And the Australian projects, you know, up around Mount Isa, well, that was a big acquisition. That cost about 1.2 billion dollars in script uh, at the time. There's three projects, three major projects up in that area across 10 deposits. Fairly large resource, um, 106 million pounds measured and indicated and 42 million pounds inferred up there. Um, so um, good relationship with the, the, the native title uh, people up there. We've got native title determination and a good, good working relationship there. Um, but at the moment, um, you know, the Queensland government doesn't support development. It's a Labor government. Labor government's not really supporting uranium development up here. So, um, you know, we're just sitting on that one. A change of government is possible up there. And, and we certainly see here in Australia that the current Liberal uh, uh, government is, is looking at reviewing Australia's, uh, you know, uranium, um, you know, uh, industry at the moment uh, from, from mining all the way through. Uh, whether that means you know potential nuclear energy or not for us and utilities is a, is a different question but we certainly hope to see the development opportunities open up we've got a third of the world's resources sitting in this country so it just makes sense um, Meninji and Kali Bore in Western Australia there's a different assets over here and these are actually um, ISR amenable so even though it's our it's our smallest um, projects, you know, in our portfolio, we have an internal ranking system that looks at about 10 different elements to rank on, you know, including geology, you know, costs, um, sovereign risk, all these kinds of things. It, it actually comes out ranked fairly high. It's a, it's a great little project. ISR minimal, as I said, field leach trials were done back in the, the mid 80s. Potential for, you know, 15 to 20 million pounds production over, over 10 years. It sits adjacent both road and gas infrastructure, runs just past the, the front and back door. So that's that's fantastic, 41 million pounds of resources there. Um, so that's a pretty exciting little project. And again, in, being in WA though, the government um, doesn't permit any more projects to be uh, developed outside of the four um, projects that were kind of uh, frozen a while ago. Um, so, you know, we need a change of government or certainly a change of policy to develop that. But a, but a great project and one that I think will again attract value 
uh, as an easily developed project, you know, as the Iranian price goes up. Well, I appreciate the uh, information on the projects and your thoughts on the uh, the uranium mining bans there in, in Queensland and, and West Australia. And hopefully those do get lifted sometime uh, during this cycle. Scott, let's move on to another question uh, to wrap up here, uh, getting pretty close. Uh, let's say we have an extensive inactive market for uranium and prices stay low until 2022. What is the plan for Paladin if this type of siege was to play out? Well, we, we, in a way, we, we're planning for that now. So I think, you know, I, I, every executive, Andrew, has got to kind of plan for success and, 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 and plan for uh, failure or certainly plan for, a, for, for um, you know, a market that's not going to recover quick. So in a way, the sale of Kalakera was really part of that de-risking of, of Paladin. Um, so you can either say, well, we, we, we retain it and we continue to fund it into the future, potentially, you know, looking at incentive prices for Kalakera without changing its cost structure of, of you know, north at $70 a pound. So you, you've got to make a decision about, well, your timing and your faith that you're going to get to those prices and then lock in contracts. Um, so that was part of de-risking and reducing our cash flow. So that's very very uh, important for us as well. Also getting our expiration spend right down as part of just creating that resilience at the moment. So that that has been our main um, response to a softer market, running a lean team, uh, having having critical skills on retainers rather than, you know, retaining people full time. And we've managed to do that quite well. So that's, that's our main, uh, our main response. I and mean, then we've got cash in the bank we've got our cash burn down as low as we can get it at the moment uh, we just need to take this year by year and just assess where the market is going we'll look at those indicators out there you know such as the build out rate in china and just make our decisions year by year as what is what we need to do and how we need to adjust our our strategy but we certainly felt that this initial investment in langer doing these studies right now and even though that there's a cost attached to that you know, that's added value. I think if, uh, you know, I don't believe it's a strategy to kind of lock yourself down, shut the doors and windows and and, and just watch the world go by. You, you can just see your share price dwindling down if you've got no news flow going back in. But we need to be able to have discussions with the market. We need to be able to have discussions with our shareholders and, and future shareholders. And we need to be able to have discussions with, with uh off-takers and utilities and to do that we need knowledge of our projects so we're yielding some great um, you know great uh, progress out of the out of the study um, we think it's money well spent um, but in the meantime you know we, we'll just reduce our cash burn down as low as as practical scott i'm sure we have at least a few potential investors listening that are considering paladin why shouldn't potential investors be considering the company now what would you say to potential investors who are listening Paladin sits in a really unique position here. We're, we're one of the few relatively production-ready operations waiting to come back into, into, you know, back into production. As I mentioned, you know, MacArthur River probably boss and ourselves sit, sit reasonably there, although we've possibly got slightly different cost structures going forward. But post our studies, so as of you know, March next, next year, we'll have a very, very clear path back into production. We can articulate it now, but we'll have even greater certainty, obviously, when we finish our feasibility study. So we've got low capital, Andrew, back into production. So we mentioned about $80 million US to get the base case operation back in 
um, and a robust operation back in for a five plus five million pound a year uh, operation. You compared to bringing a new project online now, you're looking at about 800 million, you know, plus or minus for a, you know for a similar sized operation. We go have we'll have low operating costs, um, as I mentioned, less than $35 a pound and likely closer to $30 a pound. New production, the incentive price for new production, anywhere from $60 to $80 a pound. I think most of them will be closer to $80 a pound. So we're in a great position from a from a cost point of view as well. We've got pretty fast startup, and, and this is where we're really differentiated. But we are an existing operation. We've got steel and concrete in the ground. We've got all of our permits in place. So you don't have that risk and exposure uh, with us. So we're looking at 12 to 15 months once we reach the right incentive price and we've got our, uh, our uh, funding and finance organised, um, 12 to 15 months back into production to ex execute this compared with you know, three to four years for a new operation at, at, at best. The larger operations, you're still looking at five to seven years. We're a known product. Uh, we've got existing market relationships out there. That's also very important. It's often a lot of hurdles in getting your product out to market. So we've already done that and we maintain those relationships with utilities. That differentiates us as well. And I guess from a from an investment point of view, when you look at our, our uh, EV per pound valuation, it just sits pretty low at the moment, maybe as a result of a, you know, the kind of cautiousness with a company that's come out of administration in the past. But if you have a look at us as a, as a fresh investment, we're sitting at a reasonably low EV per pound valuation compared to our peers. We're about 15% of Cameco and we've got 40% of Cameco's resources. We're at about 35% of the Athabasca projects. We've got a much simpler register and we're quicker back into production with higher certainty. So I think there's higher leverage there compared to where our current valuation is and it makes for a, you know, a very good investment prospect. So I, I guess that would be the, 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 the factors that differentiate us and what makes us a good, a good investment option for anyone that's looking to come into the uranium market. And how can people reach out to the company for more information? Well, certainly uh, you can reach out directly to us. I'm talking to funds every every week. Um, my, myself um, or uh, Anna Sudlow, my uh, CFO, we've got our website, got a brand new website out there. It's a lot simpler and presents some great information. So you can get in touch with, with us through that um, or any of the Australian brokers that, that are uh, dealing in our stock. Um, Euros is very active in our, in our uh, stock. Um, but, but if you wish to know anything more, by all means, touch base with, uh, with myself uh, directly. Scott, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your time with us. It's been a pleasure. No, it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure for me, Andrew, and thanks for the discussion. It's a fascinating market at the moment, um, and I look forward to, to uh, Paladin being a significant part of that market again going forward.